the Lord. Come on, give what's the praise? Praise the Lord. Some people don't like to say praise the Lord. You can say praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But today, give God the glory. Amen. Give God the Give me a second. I got to catch my breath. For a while, I've been teaching some of the young kids here in our church about salvation, about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to speak to you also. And today, the title of my message is Emotional Salvation. Can you say that with me? What is emotion? What is salvation? These are the first two things I'm going to ask you. It says two words on here. Don't worry about the bottom. I'm not important there. Remember the title. Don't, you don't have to remember who spoke. Emotional salvation. So I'm going to start with salvation. What is salvation? Can anyone please tell me this morning what is salvation? You know, in this crowd, usually there's always one or two sisters I know who always speak. They're sitting right next to me. But today, I'm going to ask you, don't say anything. You can say hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, but don't give me any answers. Because, you know, we can see in our church we are going from one generation to the next. I always see Asha and give an answer, but today I'm going to say Asha and I'm going to ask your daughter, Faith, for the answer. What do you think is salvation? Can you please tell me? Salvation comes from a Greek word, suzo, soterio. Now, if you look at the word soterio, that is the word that we use for salvation. It is the word for salvation. Now, we think salvation, most of the time it means I am saved. I am rescued. But the actual word soterio means that you are being delivered. That you are brought to health. And not only are you brought to health, you are protected. When we read the Psalms, like we were singing this morning, Lord, you are my shield. The Psalm says, You are my shield. How do you hold the shield? Can any of you tell me how you hold How do you hold the shield? Like what? Somebody said, I hold it like this. How do you hold the shield? Usually you just hold it. Oh, you got it right, Renjani. You hold it like this. What, how many sides does it protect you? Just the front. But the psalmist says, the Lord is a shield round about me. It is not that God just one day he delivered you from something and that he brought you to well-being and he brought you to health. But he says, I will also be with you and I will protect you. Not like how you protect yourself with a shield in front of you. No, I am a shield round about you. I got your front. I got your side. I got your back. I am with you. I am the God of angel arms. Now the next question is, you know what salvation is. But where are you saved? Faith? Or should I ask it then? 
Asha, and he has three daughters. Let me ask, I'll, I'll ask Faith again. Danielle looks a little bit. So what do you think salvation is for? Body. Soul. Soul. And mind. And mind. When God saved you, so many of us know that my body is saved, right? That's why we say, by his stripes I am healed. That's why Paul says, don't you know that your body is a holy temple, that he has purchased you with his blood, so honor God with your bodies. We also say that God has saved my soul, but he also saved your mind. What do you mean by mind? It means mind or heart. It means that God has saved you from your wrong way of life, wrong way of thinking, wrong way of moving, pattern of life. He has given you a new step, a new way to walk. He has shown you his ways. You used to walk in your ways. Now God is saying, walk in my ways. But the title of our message this morning is Emotional Salvation. So we're going to stick with the third. But to be honest, a lot of us have a little bit of trouble with emotion. Some of us don't know what is emotion. Some of us do. I know some uncles, they'll come up to you. And they'll give you a good hug. Joel Young is always there to give me a hug. Bob Wong is always there to give me a hug. Matai Chinongo, always very happy. Some of the aunties also. But I've come up to some uncles and some aunties as well. Talk to them. There's no emotion. No emotion whatsoever. So what is emotion? I just want to clarify. Emotion. This is Charlie Chaplin. He is the best guy to show emotion. He was an actor when there was no voice. You had to show everything on your face. So he says, this is happiness. This is what a happy person looks like. Look to your neighbor. Do they look happy? Or do they look like this guy? Anybody like this? Angry. This is also emotion. I thought you guys would laugh at this, but nobody laughed. This is also emotion. Happiness, anger. But today, I want, I want to spot, speak more about sadness and depression. We don't think about the fact that God has saved us also emotionally. That our emotions matter to God. That the way that we're feeling, the way that we're thinking about ourselves, the way that we carry ourselves, the posture and the being of our heart, the way that we treat ourselves, it doesn't think, we think that that is not part of salvation. For some reason, only God has saved me from sickness. For some reason, oh God has only saved my soul. What about your heart? What about the way that you feel? Does God care about that? Whether you're happy or sad, does he care? Yes, he does. He wants you to have a new heart and a new mind, not only a new spirit and a new body. Did you know in America, in the year 2016, suicide was the number one killer for ages 10 to 35, 10 to 34. 
the number one killer among the people who are aged between 10 and 34 is suicide. It is emotion, depression, and leading to suicide. Number one killer, how old are you today? I think a lot of us under 34. Thank God I'm still under 34. But I'm not in the statistics. And you're not in them. Amen. Because God does not lead us into sorrow that leads to death. But he gives us godly sorrow and only God's sorrow that leads to eternal life or happiness. The next bullet on there, it says, I believe 123 people die every day in the world. In one day, from yesterday to today. This morning when you woke up, 123 people died. By how? They killed themselves. The next point is about America. In America, 44,000 people commit suicide. You know how many people are murdered? It's up there. About 22,000, right? I think 22,000, 19,000. 44,000 people killed themselves. 20,000 people were murdered by somebody else. One guy said, you don't have to come and kill me. I'll kill myself. 44,000 people each year in America commit suicide on their own. They don't say, no, you don't have to kill me. I'll kill myself. My life is not worth living. The life that God has given me has no value. There is no purpose in me living today. I don't want to continue. I don't want another day. I don't want to see what I'll have tomorrow. I don't want. It's okay. Let me just end my life. 44,000 people every year. That's double the number of people who are being murdered in America. What an amazing fact. Oh, that's not an IPA. People don't think about suicide in the church. Servants of God don't think like that. Let me show you something. This is Jonah. This is Elijah. And this is Job. Jonah said, God, take my life. Elijah said, God, take my life. Job said, God, take my life. Powerful, amazing, wonder-working, miraculous men of God, they are saying, God, take my life. It is too much for me. I don't want to continue. I've had enough. Please take my life. You think everybody is happy and everything is okay? Even... In the house of God, in the ministry of God, people will have the feeling of depression, of sorrow, of heaviness that I cannot continue. Even in our Malayali community. Last year, I believe, in our Malayali community, in our region, one person committed suicide. The year before that, a young man also committed suicide. In the Malayali community, Pentecostal community. Let us not be oblivious. Let us not think, oh, no one around here has bad feelings. No one here gets sad. Don't think like that. You're mistaken. But what is it that causes this? Today, don't think I just came to give you some statistics and you're going to go home and you don't know what to do. I came to teach you. Amen. Amen. I came with the word of God. I came to bless you. Not my blessing, but God's blessing. The first point I want to talk about is the lie of loneliness. The lie of loneliness. 
I have written some, some things down and I want to read it for you. Loneliness will not just make you sad, it can kill you. Scientists, after doing scientific study, empirical study, have found out that loneliness is just as much harmful to you as much as smoking. Loneliness can suppress your immunity, the strength of your immunity. Loneliness is the reason for so many people getting blood pressure, anxiety, high cholesterol. It is also the reason for stroke, heart attack, and suicide. Oh, but what is my title? Can somebody tell me? What's my title? Come on, don't whisper. Tell me. No, no, right here. What is this title? I'm sorry, guys. Confuse you. The lie of loneliness. Is loneliness the truth? I want to ask you a question. Is loneliness something that is objective, means that it is that I am lonely, not because I feel lonely, I'm actually lonely? Or loneliness because you are subjective and it's just your own feeling? Loneliness is a subjective truth. Let me explain. If you are in a large crowd, can you be lonely? You can. What about if you are by yourself? Is it possible for you not to feel lonely? Even if you are by yourself, sometimes you're not lonely. But sometimes when you're in a large crowd, you can be lonely. So loneliness is not dependent on the fact whether you feel alone or you are with somebody or you are alone by yourself. Loneliness is actually defined as this. Loneliness is the detachment emotionally and socially with your surroundings. Dr. Guy Winch, a leading psychologist, that's how he defines it. Uh, emotional detachment or social detachment with your surroundings. How many ever felt lonely? I'm the only one in this place. Oh, one person. I'm the only, me and you, only for all. Everybody else is always happy, and they're never angry like that guy. You know who was lonely from the Bible? Anybody have any guess? Jesus, that's right. But I think he was always with his father. Even though he was alone, he always felt that comfort until the cross. What about Elijah? What does it say of him? God is asking Elijah, hey, hey, buddy, hey, what are you doing here? And Elijah answers and says, I am the only one everybody else has done. I am by myself, and I am full of sorrow. I am alone. I am the only holy one. There is no other prophet. All the other prophets have been killed. I am the last one who is holding on to your covenant. But Elijah got it wrong. His loneliness was also a lie. Because we can see a few verses down. God says, you think you are alone? You think you're the only one? I have 6,000 who have not kneeled down before Baal. You are not the only holy one. There is others. But what about you and me? I don't know. I, God never came to me like this and said, what are you doing here, Christopher? 
Some of you people don't know who Christopher is. What are you doing here, Shabin? He never came like this. What about you and me? I want to tell you something. Jesus is a real person. Jesus is a living person. Jesus can hear you. Jesus knows what you feel. That's why he says, we have a high priest who can understand our feelings. He has felt like what we have felt. He knows what we're going through. He can have compassion with us. He can stand with us. Do you feel lonely? I want to tell you about somebody I know who can help you. He's my best friend. His name is Jesus. Don't think if you just talk to him, he won't answer you. And that is just a religion. You think this is about something like religion? This is about one person. His name is Jesus. This whole thing, everything we're doing here, about one person, his name is Jesus. We can see through our eternity, in the past, what God did. He closed the gap and he came down to be with us. And in the end of this end of time, it is written, now man is among, man is with God and God is in their midst. Do you feel lonely? Do you feel like you're by yourself? Do you feel like no one understands you? I want you to start taking time. And don't start praying, dear Lord, Heavenly Father. God, thank you for this. God, thank you for that. Put all that aside for one moment and bring your heart. He wants to talk with you. He wants to know your heart. He wants to take away your loneliness. Let's go on to the next point. Of why people go towards depression and suicide. It is failure. I don't know if you know this, but in India, every year so many people commit suicide. They fail their exams and they commit suicide. How many experience failure? I'm, yeah, some more people. I experienced failure so many times. Our young people, my brothers and my sisters, we've experienced failure so many times. Lois, when she was taking her nursing exam, she failed. And it is deep sorrow. It is deep pain that no one can understand. What do you do in that moment? What actually happens? You know what happens to people? It, when they fail, they believe that they can no longer succeed at that thing any longer. That once I have failed at this, if I try again, I'm only going to fail. That I cannot. That I am not able. Once I have failed, I am not strong enough. I am not smart enough. I am not good looking enough. I didn't meet the mark. You can't think like that. A complete falsehood. The Bible also talks about many people who were failures. Can we guess some failures? Peter, David, Jonah, so many men of God were first 
failures. Here's a list. In my life also, I experienced that. I remember the first time I got up to preach. I preached 30 minutes, and I went downstairs. Everybody was laughing at my message. I felt so bad and I thought I never want to preach again. We all experience it sometimes. But if we can learn to continue, if we can learn to strive, we can. You know, I want to talk about the second bullet. How many of you know who is John Mark? John Mark is the person who wrote the Gospel of Mark with Peter. But I want to tell you his story. So Paul and Barnabas were going on a missionary trip. And Barnabas' cousin was John Mark. So Barnabas says to Paul, let me bring John Mark with me. But when he went on the missionary journey, do you know what he did? He quit. He said, I cannot and I will not. And he went back home. He went back home. How many of us do that? We start something, we try something, we fail, we quit, and we say, not again. I don't want to do this. And we quit. But that's not the story with John Mark. We read further. John Mark, after quitting and leaving, he comes back to Barnabas and he says, Barnabas, I know last time I came and I quit and I left you high and dry and I went home. I know I failed last time. But Barnabas, can you take me one more time with you? And Paul says, I'm not taking John Mark with me. He came last time, he bailed on us, he quit and he went home. They got into so much of an argument that Paul and Barnabas, who were missionary companions, split and parted ways. Barnabas went with John Mark, Paul went with Silas. That's how much of a failure John Mark was. Think about it, put yourself in the shoes of John Mark where you are standing there and another person is saying, I'm not working with her, I'm not working with him anymore. Last time I worked with him, it was utter failure. I don't want to disgrace myself again. John Mark is in that situation. But he doesn't quit. You know, Paul had nothing when he died. It said that Paul on his Days, end of the last days of his life, he said, bring me my blanket and my scroll. The last letter that Paul wrote was to Timothy. It was the book of 2 Timothy. And you know what he says there? Only Luke is with me. Get John Mark. Bring him to me. He is useful. Did you ever feel like you were a failure, completely useless? That's how this man John Mark was. And Paul said, I don't want to work with him, he's a disgrace. But before Paul dies, Paul says, no, he is so useful to me in my ministry. On the death, on the days of his death, he's on death row. He's about to be executed in Rome. And Paul says, this guy who I didn't want to work with, I can't ignore him. He is too good. He may have been my disgrace yesterday, but this guy is too talented. I don't know, where are you? Have you failed in your life and you think I'm utterly and completely useless? I'm good for nothing? Hallelujah. 
rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. You are someone who is saved by Christ, delivered, brought to health and protected, not only in your body, not only in your soul, but your mind and your heart as well. Christ lives in your heart. He knocks at your heart and he lives in your heart. There is no room for someone to come into that heart and tell you that you are a failure, that you cannot and that you are not able, not strong enough, not talented enough, not smart enough. If you stick with Jesus, there will be a testimony by those who disgrace you, by those who spoke against you, coming and saying, she is too useful, she, he is too qualified, I can't ignore them. Bring him. Kings and governors will call for you. Who is that? Can somebody receive that word today? Kings and governors, mayors and rulers, are going to call you. They're going to call you. Somebody seated here. Somebody seated here. You're going to become an advisor. People are going to ask you your advice. Maybe in the operating theater, doctor's office, they need your help, they need your advice. You're going to be talented. They need your expertise. Paul forsook John Mark and said, I don't want to work with at the end of his days, he said, John Mark, bring him here. I need him. He is so useful for me. I only have it's, it's, Can you give me five minutes? I know some of you want to go home. It's 12.30. Can you give me five minutes? Last time, everybody clapped because I ended on time. I don't know if anybody's going to clap this time. But give me five minutes. I want to speak tonight. I mean, not tonight, today. There's a last point. Apples and oranges. What does, what does that mean? You can't compare apples and oranges. You know what is the, one of the main things for depression and sadness? Comparing yourself with others. Can you compare yourself with others? It's like comparing apples and oranges, completely different. Do you know there's a couple of twins in IPA? I have a twin right here. Can you stand up? Now he has a twin. Do you know his twin? Are they twins? Same place, only a few minutes apart. Right? Right? Do you look like your sister? What? I couldn't hear you. He said no. They're twins. But he said he doesn't look like his twins. You can sit down. You can't compare yourself with others if a twin can't say that I look like my twin, I'm not like her. There's another twin in IPA. Does anybody know who they are? Come on, shout it out. Come on. You want to go home? Are you hungry? Michelle and Danielle, right? Michelle and Danielle. I hope some of those chats are not comparing them. I don't believe you. Even though they look so much similar, you know, Jonathan and Jack are twins, but they're identical twins. But you can't compare them. They have different skill sets, they have different desires, they have different abilities and talents. They are so different. The problem in our life is that we go on Facebook, we go on Snapchat, Instagram, Insta, whatever. We look at somebody else, oh man, you see what they're doing? Oh man, that looks like fun. Why isn't my life like that? Or why don't I look like him? Or why can't I do that? Why are you comparing? 
Sadness and depression in your life that leads to suicide or that even brings your heart down, that destroys the working of God in your life is because of comparison. Comparing yourself to others. You have to realize you are unique. You are special. You are made the, God, the way that God wanted to make you. Stop rejecting the work of God. Stop talking bad about your Savior. Stop saying, God, why did you do this? Why did you do that? It is not for you to do that. I want to show you something. I want to talk really fast, so pay attention really fast. The next line talks about the psalmist. Now the psalmist is saying, I envied the wicked man. He had everything. And I looked at myself, I have nothing. I looked at him, he's flourishing, he's strong. I'm weak, I'm sick. So the psalmist, the man of God, the woman of God in this house sometimes may be looking at others and saying, oh, look at her, look at her family. They're flourishing, they're doing so well. What's wrong with me? I want to show you the next verse. Can somebody read this? The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a theater of Lebanon. They will bear fruit in old age. How many of you like palm trees? Okay, if you're like a palm tree, please stand up. Come on, be bold, be courageous. Young man, woman of God. Are you like a palm tree cedar? Lebanon? Theater of Lebanon? Only four women. All the men are disgraced. Oh, I'm sorry. Come on. Roger won't go one person. To, no, stand up. Come on. Are you like a palm tree? And like a cedar of Lebanon? Come on. Only four women and two men. You can say, nobody else wants to stand up. What is a palm tree? How are you like a palm tree? How are we like a palm tree? What about a theater of Lebanon? I want to show you a picture. Those who said, I'm like a palm tree, I want to show you what you look like. This is what you said you look like. Right here. I look like this tree. This is a palm tree. And this is a cedar tree. Cedar of Lebanon. You just said you were like a tree. How are you like a tree? Like these two trees. I want to explain to you. When I was in Bible college, we planted a palm tree. You know how you plant a palm tree? Those in India will probably know, and those from Bahama, the Caribbean, they know about this stuff. You gotta dig into the ground three feet deep. And you gotta plant that palm tree three feet underground. And that, that, that's always open. Three feet underground. So when this palm tree grows up a little bit, you cover it a little more. It grows up a little bit more, you cover it a little bit more. So it's been thinking that I've been growing, but it's always been being covered. It's always been being covered. It came up a little bit more, but then some more mud. Came up a little bit more, covered with a little bit more mud. Seems like nobody sees me, nobody knows me. I got no glory, I got no strength, I got no talent. The next is a cedar of Lebanon. Do you know how the cedar of Lebanon grows? Before it grows one foot, it grows three feet. When it reaches three feet high, it has gone nine feet deep. You may look at your life and you may think, where have I reached? How much have I done? I have not reached anywhere. Anytime I grow, it seems like nothing substantial. I'm being covered over again. And you look around yourself and you look and say, hey, they're being blessed. Hey, they're so strong. Hey, they did this. Hey, they got a new house over there. Hey, they're so qualified. 
What about me, God? What about me? When is my day coming? You have to realize who you are. You know, grass takes five days to grow. And it's there. This thing takes time. Though you can't see anything, there is so much glory and strength. The cedars of Lebanon are what are used for the house of God. In the hands of God, if you want to be useful, you have to grow like a cedar of Lebanon. If you want to withstand the tropical hurricanes and storms, you have to be like the cedars of Lebanon. Before I go, I want to close with this illustration. And I'm going to pray for you. Once, there was an elephant and there was a dog. They're walking together.
Olha só, pai. 